and welcome to Love Your Library, Hampshire Library's podcast. I'm Hattie Dulac, here with my co-host Craig Saunders. Hi Craig. Hi Hattie, good to see you again. Have you been reading anything interesting recently? Well, I'm sort of in between books at the moment, so I'm currently waiting for Richard Osman's third book in the Thursday Murder Club series to become available on BorrowBox so that I can give it a bit of a listen. I like that series and I like listening to it on the audiobook version. It's a hugely anticipated book this year and from what I've been seeing all over social media this week, he's also signed a contract to do three more in the series so we've got plenty to look forward to there but from what I hear this one will be well worth the wait. And how about you? I am just going to be starting a new book actually. So this one is called Eve of Man. It's the first book in a trilogy by Giovanna and Tom Fletcher. So really interesting writing process for this book actually. Giovanna and Tom are husband and wife and they storyboarded the book and then wrote individual chapters separately and then pulled them together. So I'm really interested to see what it's going to be like. It's a fairly old book now. It actually was released in 2018 and it's been sat on my bookshelf since around about then because I got it soon after it was released. So it'll be interesting to see what it's like. But effectively, it is a story about the first girl that's born in 50 years. They call her Eve and there are suitors that are lined up for her because the effectively humanity is resting on her to produce the first offspring in a long time. And then she falls in love or has a relationship with someone that's not one of those. So it's called Eve of Man. As I say, it's the first in a trilogy. So it will be really interesting to see what it's like. The second book was released, I think, a couple of years later. And the third one will be coming out soon. So I think if I start this one now, I should have done both of the Eve of Man books by the time the third one comes out. So I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, I'll let you know how I get on. Oh, yeah, definitely. Sounds like something that would be so popular with our listeners as well, especially with such a well-known pair of authors. Thanks to our supporter BorrowBox, the free library app that allows you to download ebooks and audiobooks straight to your phone or tablet. All you'll need to use it is your library membership number and PIN. So, moving on to our guest for this episode, Sarah Mears, who's a programme manager for Libraries Connected, one of the key organisations we work with in Hampshire. So Libraries Connected is an organisation that really believes in the power of reading to transform lives. They pioneer projects that encourage reading and promote the value of libraries to communities across the country. We spoke to Sarah about her role and all the wonderful library projects she's been a part of, including Empathy Day, an annual event which encourages children to read books that build empathy skills. And she was a brilliant guest to speak to, gave us a real insight into the excellent work both Libraries Connected and Empathy Lab do to support reading in communities all across the country and especially within Hampshire. You can find all the links to the programmes and resources we mentioned during the interview in our show notes. But without further ado, here's us talking to Sarah from Libraries Connected. So before we play this interview, unfortunately, we did have some issues with the recording and the sound quality isn't the greatest. However, we didn't want you to miss out on what was a fantastic interview with Empathy Lab. But sorry for the poor audio quality in parts of this podcast. Today, we're joined by Sarah from Libraries Connected. Would you be able to give us a bit of a background on what the project is and what your involvement is in it? 
So I'm Sarah Mears. I'm the Programme Manager for Libraries Connected. Libraries Connected was founded in 2018, so it's four years old this year. And we were, before that, the Society of Chief Librarians, which is a membership organisation for heads of library service. We were lucky enough to get Arts Council England funding in 2018, so we became what's known as a sector support organisation, supporting public library services in England, Wales, Northern Ireland and the Crown Dependencies. Our remit's wider, it's still a membership organisation for heads of library service, but it's wider than that, so it's much more about supporting all public library staff through big projects, through advocacy, through workforce development and so on. So it's been a, a roller coaster ride for four years where <laughs> two years of them have more or less been in lockdown as well so it's been really eye-opening. Excellent and you're the programme manager so can you tell us a little bit more about what you do? I lead on the big kind of universal offer programme so back before even 2018 we'd established a, a universal library offer framework as a way of articulating what libraries are all about and that's reading, health and well-being, culture and creativity and sort of information and digital and learning sort of permeating through that. So we have actually have an offer lead for each of those universal offers who's from the library sector. And I work with them and work with their teams to coordinate activity at a national level in each of those four areas. So things like the Reading Well books and prescription collections that lots and lots of libraries have from the Reading Offer and the Health and Wellbeing Offer. Um, we've just been working really hard on the Big Jubilee Read through the Reading Offer and so on. And that's kind of coming through the culture and creativity offer. So lots of activities through those universal offers. But I also lead on big projects. So we're just at the end of a big leadership programme for public libraries. And also we had a big bid for the novels that shaped our world, which we always laugh about because it was supposed to be a year-long project in 2019. And we've just finished it in 2022. But <laughs> we all know the reasons for that. So, I, so big projects in the universal offer framework is mostly what I do, but also quite a lot of workforce development. Yeah, hopefully our listeners will be fairly familiar with quite a few of those because we do mention them quite a lot in the podcast, in our newsletters and things like that. So definitely making its way down here to Hampshire as well. (laughs) So with it starting in 2018, what were the kind of foundations of the project? How did it really get started? Was there a massive gap that needed to be filled in terms of coordinating things like this? Yeah, I I think there was really, because um, although we have SILIP, which is our professional membership organisation, there wasn't something that was just for public libraries, apart Mm. from the Society of Chief Librarians. And we were getting lots and lots of projects through Arts Council England. And it just seemed that when you had the opportunity to become a more formal organisation, we'd actually now become a charity Mm. that would actually really be there to stand up for public libraries and support public libraries. It seemed the the perfect thing to do. It meant for the first time it had paid staff uh, rather than people doing it of their day job. And we were very small team but although we're actually based in Islington at the moment we are a national team so we do lots of travel sometimes there are lots of travel on zoom at the moment but um, (laughs) it's brilliant because you get to know all sorts of different library services from little library services in the far north of Yorkshire to Hampshire libraries and everywhere in between so it's great and just understand the differences and the different needs of different services and their communities. I mean, we see a lot of it, you know, we've got a massive county down here and we see actually individual branches of our libraries have very different needs and requirements and stuff. Is that something that you tackle at a national level as well? You know, there must be very different requirements for remote library services to more metropolitan areas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We do. And and we see that because it's really important as well that we recognise that. So our projects, although we do national projects, what we always do with them is, is shape them in a very flexible way so that they can be 
delivered locally in a way that suits that local community. And I think that's really important because libraries are at the heart of their community. So they've got to respond to the needs of that community and reflect that community, as well as opening community's eyes as well to wider possibilities. I think that's a really important role for libraries too. Definitely, yeah. And I mean, you touched upon it there, but 2018, pre-COVID. So can you tell me a little bit about how the pandemic has kind of changed things for you in terms of how you're working and some of the projects you've been working on? I guess it's meant that things have shifted a little bit. Absolutely. I mean, we were a very young organisation still finding our feet when the pandemic hit, really. I don't think we realised how much we were until it hit. And then we really had to rethink what we were doing. We wanted to keep in contact with all the libraries. You know, we wanted to support them. So we were doing a lot more work in terms of engaging with government, particularly And one of our big roles during the pandemic was to keep libraries up to date with the current guidance, which uh, I believe you changed almost every hour, I think, sometimes. So just keeping very much in touch with our colleagues in the Department for Culture, Media and Sport, making sure that we were feeding questions back to them and then, you know, feeding the questions back to libraries was a really important role that we undertook. And I think it really strengthened our relationship, both with libraries, but also with the government, that department particularly, and the civil servants in that department. But we also so developed something called libraries from home because we realised how quickly libraries had adapted their services to make sure that they were online and, and make sure things like rhyme times could still carry on in an online field. So we were supporting that by making sure we had lots of training tools. So actually library staff training each other to deliver online activities and to make podcasts, to, to run webinars, to make film, all those kinds of things we were doing, escape rooms online. And so we hosted lots of training webinars and had lots of resources on our libraries from home page, which was really, really popular and visited an awful lot so I think we learned quickly about digital activity in the digital world but also we were supporting libraries who were doing amazing things with their communities you know organizing their click and collect services but also all the emergency response that library staff switched their hands to and I have to say we were really proud of library staff the way they were able to switch over to do that kind of really direct customer service in a way that probably no one else could because libraries are so good at doing that kind of customer service support every day. Yeah, that's so true, isn't it? It was a kind of overnight switch, not to brag, but we have actually won an award for our response to the pandemic by trying to engage those kind of digital customers. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I think it's something that everyone in the service has contributed to and is incredibly proud of and rightly so, because it was a really amazing response. You had um, people who were so used to on the ground being face to face with customers all the time and really providing such necessary services in person suddenly running rhyme time from their living rooms you know performing like book readings and story times and book groups and all of these things via a screen it's a totally different environment I think they all adapted so so well they did. Um, One of the things that we were able to do and support them because it's all those kind of hidden things was make sure that publishers are given their permissions to read yeah. them online because normally publishers don't because libraries are delivering them in person and that's fine. But that kind of backroom stuff that you don't think about in the importance of making sure that you've got clearance to deliver those kind of rhyme times and story times online is really important. What would you say is the biggest challenge that you faced throughout the pandemic when, you know, libraries physically were shut? 
I think it was making sure that we were keeping in touch with everybody, you know, just being there for people, really, because I think there were times when it was really tough for libraries out there, especially when they were, you know, like lots of staff maybe were either furloughed or redeployed and they were trying to keep their essential services going. So it was just making sure we had that kind of support. But also, I suppose the big challenge was making sure that we were keeping our information as current and as up to date as we could so that we were giving accurate information back to libraries. Yeah, it's it's hard to be in that central position, giving out information, but a very important job and one very well done, I think. It's that unknown because nobody really knew, did they, at the beginning, like, do books carry the virus? That was a big thing at the beginning, like, you know, can the virus exist on books and are they safe? And all of those things that we were able to clarify and clear up was really important. And, and we worked out, you know, how long you could quarantine a book for and so on. So, yeah. <laughs> interesting interesting learning that we didn't think we'd yeah, ever have it feels like a totally different world thinking about it now two years down the line when I remember people were sort of spraying Dettol all over their shopping and stuff like that because you just you know <laughs> you didn't know so. indeed, yeah. in a kind of way I think our library teams particularly consider themselves sort of custodians of information it's quite mm. a nice representation to have that disseminated from a central organisation as well, actually. So it's symbolically quite cool. And you've touched upon it there in terms of the importance that libraries have in the community. They're really central points, not just for resources for books, but also from a social aspect, from a mental health aspect, you know, being able to go out, see people, spend some time, you know, especially in that period where we were all locked away. You want to just talk to us a little bit about that? Because I'm sure that you come across it on a weekly daily basis in the work that you do just as we were able to kind of open up our spaces again we did several things that were around trying to get people back into libraries because I think one of the things that happened was people just lost confidence about being in public spaces for understandable reasons and we wanted to make sure that people saw their libraries as safe places and places where they could just go and have you know fun and relax and, and connect with people again in their communities so things like the novels I talked about the novels project which was going on and it started in the physical realm in February 2020 and then went online but as soon as we were able to run events in libraries again, so we had authors and the activities around novels in libraries, now we're getting the evaluations through that. People were just saying how important it was to connect and, and just go into a library. It was very local. You know, they felt safe in a library because they could move around. They didn't have to be really, really close to anybody else, but they could engage in a cultural activity in their local community. They didn't have to travel on public transport or anywhere else to get to something that was about having some culture. And I think for a lot of us who probably had spent two years without having any proper culture, you know, in our lives, it's wonderful to re-experience performance and poetry and all of those things. And I think libraries are so important for that, really, to, to just get people back and experiencing culture. Absolutely. And from a personal level, I suppose, getting to know you a bit more, if you're engaging with those kinds of services culturally or particularly with reading, what kind of things do you like to read and how has that maybe led you to where you are in your career now? I've always been a huge reader. You know, as a child, I was I was one of those children who always had their nose in a book, mainly horse books. I must admit, when I was little, I was a very horsey little girl. And I suppose what I wanted to do was make sure that I, other children were like inspired as I was by reading. I think that was the thing that drove me. So I was a children's librarian to start off with, and most of my career, to be honest, I've been a children's librarian. 
And I still consider myself a children's librarian, even though I'm working with adults as well now. So I always put children's books in my bag. Part of my work outside of libraries with Empathy Lab, and at the moment I'm reading lots and lots of children's books with a particular empathy focus so that we are putting together a Read for Empathy collection for 2023. So we're busy reading for that. But I've just read a wonderful book called Still Life by Sarah Winman. I don't know if you know that, but I'd recommend that to anyone who wants just a really good read. And it's half set in Italy, so it's got those kind of summer vibes as well brilliant characterization but I also I'm really discovering nature writing at the moment really enjoying all sorts of nature writing and I think partly that's because um, we've just launched with our partners in SILIP the Green Manifesto for Libraries and so I've been doing lots of thinking about that recently as well so looking at environment as important. You just mentioned Empathy Lab that you're involved. Yes. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, I mean, Empathy Lab actually is, is very much based in your neck of the woods because it was founded by Miranda McKerney, who used to be at the Reading Agency and who lives in Winchester. So a lot of our planning is done in Winchester for Empathy Lab, but it's a national organisation really predicated on the fact that reading builds empathy. And lots of organisations look at the importance of reading for well-being and obviously reading for social mobility and reading for enjoyment. But reading for empathy was an area that probably wasn't so much covered. And so we just got together, four of us back in 2015, thought, let's just See if there's anything in this, this kind of reading for social and emotional skills, but particularly empathy. Found some academics along the way, particularly Professor Robin Banerjee at the University of Sussex, who, who's also done the Kindness Project. So your listeners may remember the BBC Radio 4's Kindness Project. He's, he's been working on that. But he's also a supporter of ours. And it's basically aimed at children. And work, we work with schools, with libraries. And we have an annual Empathy Day, which this year was on the 9th of June, where we really highlight the power of books to build empathy. And when you start to delve into the science of that, it's absolutely fascinating because how the brain responds when we read it's almost as if we're meeting people in real life when we're meeting the characters so yeah so empathy labs predicated on the fact that books build empathy so the amazing thing that happens when we and when children read is that our brains think the characters we're reading about are almost like real people so with the way we empathize with the characters is a way of really stretching our building our empathy skills meaning we can empathize with people in real life so that it's a really important role for books to just help children develop those feelings of empathy that they all carry with them for the rest of their lives. When you put it like that it seems so obvious almost like you say it's when you're reading a book as a child I remember you know you're, you're kind of being introduced to characters and it forces you to put yourself in someone else's yeah. shoes which is the whole thing with empathy Absolutely. So I know that there are loads of reading lists and there are loads of events and things that happen around empathy day how do you select a book that's particularly empathy driven it's very personal I think I think every well every reader will find a book that speaks to them but we do have some empathy criteria which are around you know the strength of the character perhaps the situations they find themselves in the authenticity of the writing and every year now for the last well I think this is about the sixth year we, we publish a read for empathy book collection usually in January or February every year and at this time of the year, we put a call out to publishers to submit their most empathy-boosting books for us to read. And we have a team of 12 judges, if you like, so librarians, teachers, people from the children's book world. And we we're all feverishly reading at the moment because we've got about, I think, about 160 books that have been submitted. So between us, oh we're goodness. reading through them to get to a, a long list by the summer. And then we'll, we'll actually produce our final list back, as I say, in February next year. And we have a range of books from very early years. Picture books, it's really important that children's empathy is built young. 
through to books for teenagers. And we published two lists, one for early years in primary and one for secondary. And so Empathy Day next year, what date is that? It will be on the 8th of June, but it's usually on the Thursday of that second week of June, just after half term. So we're really working hard on that already, planning the themes and who's going to be speaking. We we have lots of engagement through authors on the day, so we, we usually stream events on the day itself, but have also have lots of run-up events that are about engaging with schools and with public libraries. Public libraries are really, really keen to Empathy Day, making sure that the whole community knows it's Empathy Day, not just children in school, and that's really important to us. So obviously our listeners will be looking out for the book list that gets released in February after that long, long uh, months of reading And for you guys. How else can any of our listeners get involved apart from attending events? And is there anything else that um, they can do? Yeah, I would say follow Empathy Lab on Twitter. If you just go to at Empathy Lab UK on Twitter or check out our website, which is www.empathylab.uk. You can subscribe to the newsletter so you can find out what's going on. We are looking at having events throughout the year, not just in the run up to Empathy Day. So just keep an eye on what's, what's going on on the website. But there's also on the website loads and loads of stuff left from this year's Empathy Day. So we keep the films up. So one of the things that we do we've done for the last couple of years at Empathy Walks, where we actually encourage people to walk around their local community. But rather than just looking at the local landmark, they're looking at it through sort of empathy eyes. So thinking about, you know, what are the situations that I'm seeing in the community? How do they touch my emotions? Can I do something about them? You know, is, is there something that I can actually make a difference into my community by, by what I've seen on my walk? And we've got lots and lots of authors to do that. So there's loads of empathy walks, wonderful empathy walks by children's authors on our website. And the other thing on the website are empathy shorts. So we've commissioned 500 word short stories by all sorts of wonderful children's authors that are in empathy themes. And so especially if you've got, I don't know, perhaps older kids who don't really enjoy reading that much. An empathy short is a brilliant way to engage with reading because it's very quick and easy, but really gives them a, a powerful empathy punch. Sounds amazing. Sounds so good. So yeah, we'll, we'll keep a list of all those kinds of resources in our show notes for the episode so listeners can go and browse at, at their desire. And I wanted to ask you a question because I think we did do a bit of an injustice in our introduction because you're actually Sarah uh, Mears MBE aren't you? Can you tell us a little <laughs> yeah, bit about that? <laughs> yeah well I was chair of the Association of Senior Children's and Education Librarians for about three years back in 2015, 2016, 2017 and I think that's what I got the MBE for which I was very honoured to receive so I got it for services to children and young people which I was absolutely thrilled about because I said at the beginning I, I've been a children's librarian really from the start of my career and so it really meant something that I was honoured to work with children and young people but yeah it was an amazing honour and it was a lovely day it was really nice because I got my award at Christmas in 2018 so I went to Buckingham Palace that just before Christmas it was about the 18th of December so wonderful Christmas tree in Buckingham Palace it was a very very lovely day. Oh you must have been so pleased. Yeah <laughs> and a lot of fun as well actually yeah. I was surprised at how much fun it was I was very nervous but um, yeah people were very welcoming and they you know, put you at your ease I think. So in terms of looking forward, obviously, we've got Empathy Day coming up next year. But for any kind of future projects for both Libraries Connected and Empathy Lab, could you give us an indication of anything to look out for? Yeah, so I think with Empathy Lab, we're hoping to have at least some webinars in the autumn and we're doing lots of training in the autumn as well. So modular training, so two hour sessions 
So if anybody, anybody who works with children and young people or even parents are interested in coming along to that training, then do look on the Empathy Lab website for that. Um, and obviously we'll be preparing to launch the book list and definitely preparing for next year's Empathy Day. And in terms of Libraries Connected, well, we're doing, we're actually in, a, in an interesting position at the moment because we're at, in the middle of bidding for our next round of funding. So mm. we, we've just submitted our, our bid for that. So we'll be looking forward and keeping our fingers crossed that we get our next lot of funding. But we're also working on a, a range of projects, particularly around equality and diversity and equality and diversity in terms of library book collections at the moment and making sure they're as diverse and as representative of our communities as, as we can get them to be. So that's one of the projects that we're working on. We also just launched the Green Libraries Manifesto. So we'll be doing lots of work around that. And I know that Hampshire are, li- are leading the way because your head of service is actually chairing that group. So that's really good. And we, we're really looking forward to doing a lot more work on the Green Libraries manifesto so yeah and so other projects we're looking at work with family hubs so more work with the new family hubs that come on stream and particularly around early years and promoting the importance of libraries to very young children and their families but that work's just kicking off as well that was really enjoyable thank you so much for taking the time uh, speaking thank to you us. Um, <laughs> thanks really very much it.